But I think one of the most transformative things that you can possibly do is you can update your, your mindset. It's like that really follows you in everything that you do. Like when you change your philosophy or when you update your view of the world, I feel it's very transformative and it's meaningful. Like if you're just trying to just take a couple of habits that you integrate into your day, like that can make a difference also. But if there's no like really shift in your perspective, I think sometimes it can be very hard to apply. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Inner Wealth, the Forbes Ignite podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Kakal, CEO of Forbes Ignite. And every week I'll be sharing with you my conversations with unique, creative, and innovative people across all different industries. These are people who are intellectually curious explorers who are also redefining what it means to be successful today. From personal to professional, we cover it all to understand what drives our guests to blaze their own trails and create nimble solutions within the industries that touch each of our lives. Our guest today is Shane Sorensen, author of the book, Renaissance Wisdom. I was so excited to speak with him to learn more about his nonlinear journey, which is similar to so many entrepreneurs. His book exemplifies what it means to thrive in a modern world by learning from the great philosophers and thinkers of the Renaissance and beyond. His passion for philosophy is contagious. And after reading his book, it put me on a quest in the search for wisdom in my own personal way. We talk about everything from continually reinventing ourselves, the need for more free thinkers in our society, and knowing oneself to help others and to create a better world among so much more. I know you're gonna love what he has to say. Here's our chat. Hey Shane, how's it going? Thank you so much for joining me this morning. It's going uh, very, very well. I'm getting all settled in, just had my coffee and <laughs> waking up here. So thanks for having me on. Good to talk to you again. Absolutely. It was great getting to know you, and I know that you have a lot of different projects going on. So what have you been up to lately? Uh, well, got a pretty pretty full schedule. Uh, so I, I work a, a full-time kind of nine to five, even though it's a, a 12 to eight. I am a partial owner and also manager of a chain of gyms here in the Atlanta metro area. Uh, used to be called Tap Out Fitness, but we recently broke off and rebranded. So we're now ATL Fitness. Um, so we're 24-hour gym. We also offer like boxing and kickboxing. We've got seven locations that we've built up over the last six years or so. Wow. Um, so I started out with the owners about six years ago, helped them build up the first business. And we've just continuously been expanding since then. So I do that throughout the day. I'm also a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. So I try to train after work, four or five days a week. And then uh, obviously I've been writing the book and managing the Instagram pages here for the, for the last year and a half or so. So I'm in my very end stages of getting the book out. It's going to be coming out July 1st officially. So that's where a lot of my energy has been going lately is just trying to get everything wrapped up and trying to kind of spread the word. So yeah, that is really exciting. And it definitely sounds like you have a full plate so tell us, tell us your story. What was your personal and professional journey to get to where you are today? I know we've talked a lot about that curious spirit, that, that curiosity, right? I guess that's kind of followed me. That's been something I've had since probably my teenage years or so, ever since I had started kind of asking questions about things. But I've, I've done a lot of hopping around. So I had a very, very humble beginning, was born in Indiana, pretty poor family, moved around a lot. And... After high school, my dream, all I wanted to do was be a pro MMA fighter. I just wanted to be in the UFC and kind of skipped the college thing, worked in a factory for a year and a half, got, got my soul ground down in a, like this tough manual labor job. And I jumped between a lot of different jobs after that. I mean, I 
I worked at like GNC for a while. I did insurance sales. Eventually ended up getting a nursing license. Worked as a nurse while I trained full-time and competed in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Traveled around the country. And nursing was another kind of like, I'll say like soul-sucking job for me. I felt very much in a box. And I've always been someone that just kind of wanted to have a little bit more freedom to pursue my own interests, express myself, do things that are a little bit more challenging and exciting. And that kind of led me to quit jujitsu and nursing. And I ran a self-improvement blog for about a year. I know you were, you were asking me for the link, but I, I <laughs> killed the website a couple of years ago. So um, it used to be called makeyourbestself.com. And my goal was just to do a blog post every day for a year. So I did 365 posts in a year, was like pretty much did it full time alongside my general self-improvement journey. And that eventually led me into kind of getting my day job. And that's what sparked the idea for the book was once I kind of got settled in my job, once I was like stable in my career, I started thinking about this book, this idea that I had kind of shelved for you know several years since I had run my blog. And one day I just decided to bring it to life. And, you know, here we are. So you didn't have actual training to be a writer or like you didn't go to school for writing. This is something that you developed on your own through your blog, through your own personal writing. So I think it's amazing that you went from concept to idea to actually publishing your book throughout all of these different steps. So tell us more about your book, Renaissance Wisdom. What's it about and what inspired you to write it? So the original idea was when I was running my self-improvement blog, I would always try to write attention-grabbing type articles. So, you know, 10 easy hacks to blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's, it feels so cheesy now because it feels very disingenuous. And I feel like a lot of the things that we see as far as self-improvement are very much like that. I call like kind of clickbait, mm-hmm. you know, like, like t- 10 easy hacks to become happy now. And you go in and there's really no meat or substance to it. It's just very like, common sense, basic things that you read. And you're like, oh yeah, of course I know that. But like, how do I do that? And that, that was my original idea for this book was, you know, 13 easy steps to become a Renaissance man, like Leonardo da Vinci. Mm-hmm. And that was the original idea. And as I started to learn more about philosophy myself, personally, I became a lot more interested in, in philosophy versus easy hacks, right? Because I feel there are a lot of little steps that you can take and you can write out. And so, you know, as I got into the philosophy, that that became the important thing to me. It was like, all right, I want to figure out the mindset of these Renaissance humanists and do my best to sort of break down some of these ideas and thoughts and then put them into a book that I can share with people that, you know, essentially will inspire them to possibly add some of these philosophical concepts to their own life. I finished reading the book and I thought you did a fantastic job breaking down these concepts and making them very, very accessible. And I know you cite a lot of different philosophers, a lot of different thinkers from the Renaissance. So tell me personally, who are some of your heroes? From the Renaissance specifically, I'll say one that really stood out for me was Poggio Bracciolini. Um, He's kind of in the earlier section of the book. He's like in the first section in the history portion. He was one of the book hunters of the Renaissance. So his big contribution was he went out and he combed through these monasteries and he tried to find lost works. And he found some big ones. He found like a work by Quintilian that was a really big deal. And 
I really like him. And I, I talk about this in the book too, but because he's so, he was so self-made. Mm-hmm. He had very, very humble beginnings. He didn't have this crazy education. He you know, was involved in the church. He became a uh, history taker for the Pope. He would go through and he would write down like time for meetings. And he would like take a lot of little notes that if the Pope had an idea that he wanted jotted down, it was like the guy that kind of followed him around and kept a record. And so he did that for the church. But then all the while, while he's working this job, you read his letters and he was just obsessed with, I want to go out and find these old books. And then he would translate them and he would share them with the other humanists. And he has so many quotes. They're all throughout the, you know, his section in the book where it's like really an escape for him. He lives his life. He has his, his nine to five, so to speak, but then he can just kind of escape away into a book. Outside of the Renaissance, I would say I'm really, really inspired by Socrates. He's, he's a really inspirational figure for me. And also like Diogenes the dog. If I had to pick the top, right, I would, I would probably say it was Diogenes over Socrates, even though Socrates is kind of the father of philosophy. Um, so I'll, I'll share this little story just as an example. It's, I love this story. I've got a, got a painting of it up on my wall, actually. But so Diogenes, he was this really, really crazy cynic philosopher of Athens. And his idea was that all of these social norms and constructs were just nonsense. Mm-hmm. He took it too extreme. He, he was very, very extreme. He lived in this like giant barrel, basically. He um, would defecate and urinate in the streets. He basically would walk around. He only had two possessions. He had like this, this big barrel that he lived in and he had like a cloak, basically. That, that was basically all he had. And he was really famous. They called him the dog because he, he lived like a dog. I mean, he <laughs> just walked around naked in the streets. And, but he was happy, right? He, he was content to do what he did. And Alexander the Great had recently come to power. He just inherited a kingdom from his father and he would later go on to conquer basically the whole known world. Mm-hmm. And he heard about Diogenes and so he wanted to meet him and he comes up to Diogenes and he's you know just kind of looking at this crazy guy covered in dirt, living in a barrel, sitting, sitting out here in the middle of the, in the sunny day. And he goes up to Diogenes and he says that I've, you know, I've heard a lot about you and I'm a very powerful man and I can give you anything that you want. You know, just name one thing that you want and I'll give it to you. And Diogenes says, stop blocking my son, right? Like you have, you have this homeless guy with nothing and he has the most powerful man in the world in front of him. And he says, I'll give you anything that you want. And he says, I don't need what you have. Mm-hmm. Just get out of my way, right? Like I've, I've got everything I need right here to be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I also like about him, right? The fact that he was able to kind of question those societal norms and standards and live his own life. And I guess that's, maybe that's why he really speaks to me, but I I love that he's so self-dependent. He's got so much personal sovereignty that he just, he doesn't need anything from anyone. I love that story. And I think what you do really well in the book is being able to make philosophy and concepts from the Renaissance more accessible, similar to how Bruni made a lot of the great Greek works accessible through translation you made philosophy in the modern world that much more accessible through your own in- interpretation and sharing it with the world. So I think you did a great job of that. Thank you so much. So I, I know it's hated many, many great quotes from your book. The first one I'll mention is rationality, prudence and patience, free thinking, and a thirst for knowledge and self-improvement. 
These are the qualities of individuals that can make a better world. What inspired you to write that? I'd say in that moment, it just becomes very apparent to me, right? That this this inward self-focus, I think, is a very necessary thing for like any kind of meaningful change. I have this analogy that I use in the book, right? And it's about the being on a plane and they you know, you, you have the uh, the little document that like tells you what you're supposed to do in the case of an emergency. Mm-hmm. And there's always the one with the mother and the child. And the oxygen mask comes down and it's showing the mom putting on her own oxygen mask before she puts an oxygen mask onto her child, right? And like, I'm not a mother, never have been a mother, you know, never will be a mother. But like, I imagine, right? It's very difficult to have a child there and you're all of a sudden told, okay, like I'm going to put my own well-being before my child's well-being. And it's very counterintuitive, I imagine, right? And the reason that it's so important is because let's say you put the mask on your child first and then something hits you in the head and you get knocked out. Well, the child's probably not going to be able to take care of you. They're a child, right? So they're like saying, okay, take the time, take a little bit of time, take 10 seconds, make sure that you're safe and you're okay and you can breathe because now you're not a liability. Now you're able to take care of someone else. And I think that's something that's very lacking. We've been told, don't be selfish. You have to be altruistic. And I don't know, that, that's like a dangerous idea to me because if you're not doing well, if you're struggling, how are you going to help anybody else? How are you going to give anything back to the world? Like, How are you going to make a difference if you can't even take care of yourself? Mm-hmm. No, that's extremely powerful. And I'll read one more passage from the book. I'll select this one. So But what we need today is not more followers. We need more powerful individuals. We need more free thinkers, more prudence, more people being genuine and embracing their unique viewpoints and differences. Individuals possess the power to create real change. You and I hold the keys to a better world through seeking to become better humans, by seeking to treat others with respect and celebrate their differences, and by seeking to achieve our own potential, we encourage others to do the same. Now, everything in your book from the history of the great philosophers and the great thinkers up until that point really led to that statement. Did you want to expand on that a little bit? There's a lot going on in the world. There's like two things happening. It's like there's a destruction of truth that's happening. There's so much disinformation. there's There's so many lies going around. There's such a wide variety of information that it's like almost like truth has been deconstructed Mm -hmm. where, you know, if you, even if you went back like 50 years ago, people had a shared worldview. There wasn't the internet, you know, people all watched the same news. They went to the same community meetings. Life was a lot smaller and you were surrounded by people that were around you, not necessarily people that were all over the world. And, you know, everybody got their news from the same place. There was more of like a shared collective experience that people had. And it's good and bad, right? Like people are more on the same page. However, it's not good for diversity, right? Because everyone's exposed to the same stuff. So everyone's thinking and feeling the same thing, but it's good for homogeny, but it's not good for growth and expansion. And then, you know, now what you see is there's so much information. It's like, I can live next door to you and our kids can go to the same school together and all, all of these things, but we can live in a totally different world. You're living in a world where XYZ is happening. And that's the biggest thing to you. Like, oh, there's like this flooding in India. Like it's terrible. Like, and I'm just over here going to my nine to five. Oh, you know, I'm just trying to get through the day. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's kind of been this like destruction of like a shared collective mindset. But at the same time, you have 
so much energy going into, I think like this happens a lot politically is like, there's a side or there's a group that's really trying to, to give you this ideology to live by. Right. And I, I think kind of what's happened is people are sort of unsure what's true. And so they just kind of gravitate towards like authoritative voices. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're out there in the darkness and there is no truth and there's nothing to look for. So they're just like looking for something to grab onto. And it, a lot of times it's like that loudest voice, right? You get these voices that are out there and they're just saying stuff and they're saying stuff loudly and people kind of hear it and they just, they start moving towards it. And I think today it's so important that people develop kind of that curiosity for themselves to research, to look for things, to try to kind of form their own worldview, because there, there's just, there's a lot of destructive uh, ideology out there, I think, currently. That's where I think that that inward focus of like taking a second, okay, like let me let me figure out where I am, let me figure out myself, let me look within a little bit and know myself. And then I can kind of like start putting together this worldview that's going to allow me to go out into the world and you know be be my best self. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And speaking of knowing oneself, in your book, you talk about the concept of flourishing or eudaimonia, which in the closest English translation would be the word flourishing, I think. Um, So tell us more about it and why it's so important. So yeah, the the first thing I'll do is, I guess, kind of emphasize, like you were saying, flourishing, right? Um, Sometimes the translation you'll see might be happiness. Mm -hmm. So to me and like Aristotle, this is kind of like an Aristotle idea. Happiness is a a temporary state. Mm -hmm. Um, Aristotle would say, you can't really say if someone is happy or not until they're dead. Even once they're dead, you can't really say if they're happy or not, because let's say you lived your whole life and you were trying to create this legacy and you succeeded. So like you would say, okay, yeah, he's happy. But then after you die, five years later, someone comes along and they just create a bunch of lies about you. And now everyone's like, oh, that guy was terrible. But you would say, you know, you had an unhappy life because you, you worked hard your whole life to build up this legacy. And then someone destroyed your legacy after you died. So happiness can come and go. It's like, Things are going your way. Everything's good. Business is great. You're thriving. You got a good family and you're happy. And then recession hits and you lose your job. Your business goes under. Your wife leaves you. Now you're unhappy. To me, it's just, it's in flux. Like I try not to get so focused on like, am I happy or not? If you're happy more than you're unhappy, it's a good sign. I think like I'm moving properly. I'm moving in the right way. But with eudaimonia, it's something deeper. It's like, it's a process. Mm -hmm. When you're flourishing, like I think of a flower mm-hmm. that's in its perfect state. You know, when, when a flower is just blooming, it's beautiful, it's getting the sun, it's getting the water, all of this nourishment is going into this flower and it's just, it's growing. If that's eudaimonia to me, it means that you're in your best state in that moment. It's a continuous process of growth. And that's what I try to think of is like eudaimonia is not an end state, it is a process. And it's a continuing process, right? So you're going to have also cycles where maybe you're not growing as much, but that's the whole call of the book in general, right? Is all of these ideas to think critically, to go out and try to look for new information, to try to find courage in your life. All of those things come together to create an individual that is able to flourish. You're able to be at your best. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important, especially in the modern day when you're looking for inspiration and you're looking for just ways to keep going, especially in entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is tough. So what can people in business, especially entrepreneurs, learn from your book to achieve their goals? I'll pick a couple that I think really stand out. So 
one of the key concepts of the book, and I know this is important to you, right? We talk about curiosity, that like that curiosity, curious individuals. Going back to Socrates and the foundation of philosophy, when you look at the etymology of philosophy, you break it down in Greek and it, it just basically means a love of wisdom. So a philosopher is someone that loves wisdom. They go out and they seek wisdom. So I think that sometimes rigidity and thinking that you know everything, thinking that you have everything figured out, that like building of your ego can be very detrimental to growth. Mm -hmm. If you think that you know everything, if you think that you've got it all figured out, you're not really open. You're you're sort of closed off and you're just like, okay, I'm doing things my way because I know how I've got it figured out now. But when you're curious, when you're open, when you're like, okay, even if I know a lot about this, there's still something more to learn. You're always looking for these new things. And I think you see that a lot in business. There's a reason that all of these old dinosaur companies are going out of business or have gone out of business. Because in this world, everything is changing and evolving so quickly. That's the reason that the Teslas are growing. That's the reason that the Googles and the Amazons are still continuing to grow and thrive because they're not like these old dinosaur businesses where they just form up a bunch of shells and they try to hold on to these dying products. They're constantly taking risks. They're constantly evolving. They're, they're constantly looking at how the market is changing and they're introducing new products. And I think that's probably the biggest thing you could pull from my book is this idea that you really need to constantly be learning and evolving. If you're just out there trying to replicate the same thing over and over again forever, eventually things are going to change enough that that's not going to work anymore. And you've got to be flexible enough to look at a new environment. I mean, look at COVID, right? Just talk about like a paradigm shift of the world. Everybody's going to work, everyone's in their routine, and then all of a sudden people are working from home, Zoom blows up, Google blows up, Amazon blows up, smaller businesses, restaurants are struggling. I mean, if you're a business owner and you made it through COVID, right? Like you've already seen a little bit of this, like you have to be able to adapt. You've got to be able to think on your feet and grow and evolve. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And your book talks a lot about those concepts. And I think the reason why it's just so fitting, especially with the title of the podcast, Inner Wealth, with eudaimonia or flourishing, it really is all about personal growth. And you can have a business, you can be an entrepreneur, but what it all boils down to is the self, how you're developing as a person and how that affects everything else in your life. So I think um, you do a really great job explaining these concepts in your book. And I would love to know, just from your personal perspective, how do you define success? For me, success is, I don't know, it's eudaimonia, honestly. Like, I think at the end of the day, I'm pretty happy with where I am in life. I mean, of course, I'm always moving forward. I have, I have ideas for how I want to move forward. You know, it'd be, it'd be great to be a best-selling author someday and travel and speak and, you know, live this totally different life. That, that would be, you know, success in a way. But I think like what I care about most at the end of the day is I just care about like my personal journey. I care about being a better human. And that's a very relative thing. It, that's Everyone has to kind of define for themselves what that means. I think we should be very careful not to adapt or adopt somebody else's view of what it means to be a good human. I think figure out for yourself what it means to be a good human. But that's success for me is that like, I can look back on my life and I can look at my trajectory as a human being and say that, you know, I'm looking at my life and I'm happy with the way that I lived it. Mm -hmm. There's 
my favorite philosopher, and he has nothing to do with the Renaissance. He has nothing to do with the ancient world is uh, Frederick Nietzsche. Mm -hmm. And he has this idea of the, the eternal reoccurrence. So the idea is that imagine this demon comes to you and says, the, the way that you live your life, like this next thing that you do, do it in a way that you will have to repeat this same action over and over again. Like imagine that your life is not a beginning point and end point, but imagine you have to live this same life over and over and over and over. Like you're reincarnated back in your same body in the same time period. You just have to live it over and over and over. So this next action, this next step that you take, imagine that you're going to have to live with that for eternity. That's so powerful to me. It's like, imagine that every moment, everything that you do, you're going to have to live with this forever. Like you're going to have to repeat it. You're going to have to relive it. And that's like success to me is like getting to the end of life and looking back at your life and being like, you know, I made some mistakes. I learned some stuff, whatever, but I did the best I could. I'm happy with the outcome. Mm -hmm. Well, Shane, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you. Where can our listeners find you? Um, currently, I've got uh, two Instagram pages. I have at Renaissance Wisdom, and I also have at Philosophy Says. Um, so you can go through, you can look at the links in the bio and stuff there. I have the website, which is renaissance-wisdom.com. Definitely make sure you add the hyphen, very important. And of course, you can just look up the book on Amazon. It is up in pre-sale currently for the ebook. If you're listening to this after July 1st, then the hard copy and the uh, paperback versions are also going to be available. So really easy way, just hop on Amazon, type in Renaissance Wisdom. Should pop up right away under books. If you want to add my name in, just Renaissance Wisdom Shane, it'll pull right up for you. Definitely encourage everyone to check it out. If you check out the book and you like it, shoot me a DM on Instagram. It's a great way to reach me or you know, leave me a review. I, I love to kind of hear everybody's thoughts on the book. So Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Shane. It has been such a pleasure. I'll speak with you soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. That's it for this week's episode of Inner Wealth. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and that you'll join us next week as we continue to explore all the ways success is being redefined in our ever-changing world. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Instagram at Forbes Ignite for more thought-provoking content and opportunities to engage with us. I'm your host, Nicole Kakal. Thanks for joining us.